And Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is... I'm sorry, I lost my place in turning the page. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. May the Lord bless the reading and now the preaching of his word. Thanks, Hugo. And good morning, church. Good to see you after the holidays. Hope you're rested. I'm not. I don't think anybody's rested. Um, it's a busy season, I know, and thank you for making the extra effort this morning in light of all the rain, which doesn't look like it's subsiding now or any time this afternoon. So hang in there. Thank you for being here. If you're a guest with us, we're honored by your presence. If you're here with family, welcome. We hope you feel welcome this morning. You picked a good morning to come. We're going to start a new series this morning um, called Back to Basics. And really, I'll talk about more of the goal of this series um, a little bit later. But I want to open the sermon this morning with a football illustration, which if uh, you know me, that's very rare and something I don't know a lot about. And, and I'm sure as I use the illustration, an angel will get its wings this morning. So, but I want to talk about um, Vince Lombardi, famous football coach with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, it was in July of 1961 that 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered together for the first day of training camp. The previous season had ended in heartbreak, even though they had a fantastic season. The Packers squandered a lead late in the fourth quarter and lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. So the Green Bay players are assembled there on the field and have been thinking about that brutal loss during the entire offseason. And now finally, they're gonna, they've arrived at training camp to get back to work and to hear from their coach. The players were eager to advance their game to the next level and start working on some of the details that would help them not make the same mistakes that they had made in that critical NFL championship game. So their coach, Vince Lombardi, perhaps you've heard this story, had a very different idea about the way he was going to speak to this team. And in his best-selling book, When Pride Still Mattered, A Life of Vince Lombardi, author David Marinus explains what happened when Lombardi walked into the training camp in the summer of 1961. Here's what the author says. Quote, he took nothing for granted, referring to Lombardi. He began a tradition of starting from scratch, 
assuming that the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before. He began with the most elemental statement of all. Gentlemen, he said, holding a pigskin up in his right hand, this is a football. Lombardi was coaching a group of three dozen professional athletes who just months prior had come within minutes of winning the biggest prize their sport could offer. And yet, he starts from the very beginning. He goes back to the basics. And six months later, the Green Bay Packers beat the New York Giants 37-0 to win the NFL championship. So why a series on back to basics? Is it because Vince Lombardi did it? Actually, it's because Jesus did it. Jesus repeatedly, over and over, took his disciples back to the basics. He took them back to why they were here, who he was and what he was doing, and how they were called to live in light of that. And if you're like me, you know how easy it is to be forgetful. We just forget. We forget who we are in Jesus Christ. We forget why we do what we do as a church and, we, and how we're going to do what God has called us to do, and we just forget. Second Peter 1.13 reminds us of this truth. When Peter writes, he says, I think it's right as long as I'm in the body, Peter says to that church, to stir you up by way of reminder. See, Peter himself didn't feel the need to say new things all the time. Rather, he had a conviction to say the same old things in fresh new ways and to take his people back to the basics because as long as he was in the body, that is, as long as he was living, he wanted to stir them up. And he, to stir them up, how did he stir them up? By way of reminder. So that's what I want us to do for the next six weeks. We're going to preach six sermons that focus on our six core identities as Christians. And these six core identities could be divided up under three headings. I'll go ahead and give you the identities. You've heard them before. I don't think they're anything new or novel. The three headings that these six identities could be divided under are commitment, connection, and commission. Commitment, connection, and commission. And there's two identities that fall under each one of those. For instance, under the first identity, commitment, we have the identity of disciples and members. What do those identities mean? Disciples are those who belong to Jesus Christ that we might become like Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple is, someone who belongs to Jesus Christ that we might become like Jesus Christ. And in this series, this morning, we're going to start with that identity. And we're going to focus on our devotion to Jesus in the Word and prayer. Second identity is members. We are not just those who belong to Jesus, but we also belong to each other. We belong to the body of Christ, to the church of Christ. And as a result of belonging to Jesus, by necessity, we belong to the church. And so in this series next week, Pastor Jonathan is going to focus on the importance of having a meaningful attachment to a local church. Not just your name on a roll somewhere or not even having your name on a roll, but a meaningful attachment to a body of believers. Second heading, connection, has also two identities with it. And those identities are worshipers and family. As worshipers, we desire to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength in every area of our life. And in this series, we're going to focus on the importance of taking that worship identity into our families. And how do we live out the identity of being a worshiper, not so much here, but in our homes? 
A second, or a fourth identity, I should say, under connection is family. That is, I'm not talking about the biological family here. I'm talking about our spiritual family, the church, and how we share life together as the family of God. And the way that we should share that life together should be such that the gospel is the only thing that can explain why we relate to each other that way. And we want to talk about how we behave as a church in a way that demands a gospel explanation. So that's what I'm talking about when we talk about family. And we're going to focus there on our life in our community groups. Finally, a third heading, commission two identities, servants and witnesses. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, showing us the way to truly live, as Patrick Rowe, our deacon, and, and Joe Saulwester, our deacon, just explained about just one example of being a servant, having the identity of a servant, is in the event of a disaster, hosting a shelter and seeking to love and bless our community. That's just one, one way. But we're going to focus in this series on all the various ways in which we as God's people are called to minister and serve according to the gifts and passions that God has put within us. And then finally, witnesses. We, dec- we are to declare the words and demonstrate with actions the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this series, we're going to focus on practical ways to share the gospel with others. So we're just going to get back to the basics the next six weeks. And we want to look at these identities, disciples, members, worshipers, family, servants, and witnesses, and really drill down and apply them and head into the new year with a real vision of what we're called to be and do as God's people. If you're like me, you need a series like this. I need a series like this. I need to worship God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I need to be equipped to do that. I need to embrace the messy life that life in the church is with the family of God and do it in a way that demands a gospel explanation. I need to embrace the truth that the way to truly live is to serve. I need to faithfully share in word and deed with those who don't know Jesus, who he is and what he has done. And I need to embrace the reality that this process of becoming who I am in Christ is never completed until my last breath. And therefore, I always need to come back to, gentlemen, this is a football. So we as a church would be well served spending some time remembering who we are in Jesus Christ and what has made this church such a vibrant community these last 43 years. And as we do that, I pray that God will do exceedingly beyond all we could ever ask or imagine. I pray that more people will meet Jesus, more people will grow in maturity, and more people will live their life based on the reality that Jesus died for their sins and rose for their salvation. He's alive, he's at work. And I pray that getting back to the basics would do more than just cause us to win an NFL championship game, as if that mattered in eternity, but that it would advance the mission of God, advance the kingdom of God, and grow us as the people of God. Now the goal of this sermon having said a word about the series in general. My goal in this sermon is very simple. I want to motivate you to spend time with Jesus in the Word and in prayer in 2016 in a way that you haven't in years past. That's what I want to do. I want to motivate you at the beginning of this new year to spend time with Jesus in the Word and prayer as his disciple, sitting at his feet like Mary did. You remember that text, don't you? In Luke 10, that great passage about Mary and Martha. Martha's very busy with lots of things. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha's none too happy about that. She's pretty frustrated with Mary that she's not up and helping her. 
What, is Mar- what does Jesus say about Mary? She is doing the one thing that is necessary. The one thing that is, think about that. We feel in our lives so many things to be necessary, don't we? And oftentimes, we have, in addition to that, we, we feel that the word and prayer is important. We feel that being with Jesus is important. But it's one of many things that we are called to do. And Jesus certainly doesn't disparage Martha and say that she's not doing anything that's important. But rather, what he points out about Mary is that she's doing the one thing, in his words, that will not be taken away. The one thing that is most necessary, and that is spending time with Christ. After all, that's the thing you're going to be doing for most of eternity. After every, all of the other things you feel right now that are most necessary for you to do, in 10,000 years, you won't be doing those things you feel that are most necessary. At least most of them. But you will be with Jesus. And so what I want to do this morning is look at John 15 in perhaps a unique way that maybe you're not used to looking at it. I don't want to go verse by verse through the first eight verses of John 15. Rather, what I want to do is take another verse and use it as a grid for thinking through John 15. What do I mean? 1 Thessalonians 5.14 is a really, it's, it's been an important and helpful passage to me in pastoral ministry. It says this, Paul's writing and says, and we urge you brothers, he's talking to the church now, and he says, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. I love that passage because that passage indicates something about the church. First of all, it indicates that the church should be doing this. He doesn't say pastors. You know, pastors, you need to get after those idle sheep and admonish them. He doesn't say pastors, encourage the faint-hearted. No, he says brothers. This is the responsibility of all the church, including the pastors. And the pastors are called to equip the saints to do these kinds of things, which is to admonish the idle and encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak and be patient with everybody because we all need patience. We're slow to grow. But here's an important thing that we learn from this verse. Not everybody needs the same kind of medicine. It would be one thing for me to stand up here this morning and assume that every one of you are in the same place regarding your relationship to Jesus in the word and prayer. That's ridiculous. So what I want to do is I want to nail down in these three categories and say probably you're somewhere in one of these three categories. Either you need to be admonished because you're idle in this practice, you need to be encouraged because you're faint-hearted, or you need to be helped because you're weak. And so what I want to do is give a word for each one of those categories in relationship to our relationship to Jesus in the word and prayer from John 15. Because I think in John 15, we get admonishment for the idle, we get encouragement for the faint-hearted, and we get help for the weak, all in relationship to Christ and our, our relationship with him through the word and prayer. So let's begin with the first category of people, and that is those who need admonishment. This is the warning. This would be for people who at, at present have no relationship with Jesus meaningfully in the Bible and in prayer. You're not reading the Bible. You're not praying you're not seeking the Lord. And John 15 has some words for you about that. So let's dive in here and talk about for a moment admonishment for the idol on the importance 
of having a relationship with Christ in the Word and in prayer. Perhaps first, though, it would be good to justify the reason that I am choosing this passage this morning to discuss this topic. Why did I choose John 15 to talk about our relationship with Jesus in the Word and prayer? Because that's what John 15 is emphasizing. The key verse here is verse 7, John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So you see that verse? You see what's going on there? You got Jesus, you got the word, you got prayer. You got abiding in Jesus. He says, if you abide in me, that's relationship with Christ, and my words abide in you. There's Bible. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. There's prayer. Okay? So the word and prayer coupled with is the means by which we abide in Jesus. So just laying that foundation, let's move into some admonishment here because Jesus has some really, really strong words here in this passage. It's a beautiful passage. It's an encouraging passage, but it's a, it's a serious passage as well. Now, the whole image, the whole metaphor that Jesus is using in his teaching here is the vine and the branches. And I know that we're not, I mean, we, we live in a somewhat agricultural community, but we're not an agrarian society. We don't get this whole vine branches metaphor, although it's very easy to understand naturally. The vine is the source and sustenance of the life of the branches. Without the branch being vitally connected to the vine, it has no life. And the branches must abide in the vine to live and bear fruit. And so Jesus is teaching here that he is the vine, he is the source of our life and the sustenance for our spiritual life, and, the, and we as his people, as his branches, must abide in him to live and thrive and bear fruit. So that's the image, that's the metaphor. And he has a couple serious words here. Let's look at the first word in verse 12. Sorry, not verse 12, verse 2. We'll start at verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, listen to this, that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, what does it mean that he takes the branches that don't bear fruit away? He takes them away. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away. Sounds like takes away. He is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So Jesus is teaching here that fruitless branches are destroyed. That's a strong word that, need, that, that some of you need to hear this morning. Admonishment for the idol. If you are a fruitless branch, you will be destroyed. You will be sent to hell. Now, if you're thinking about this and you're getting a grip on this, that should shock you. Because of what Jesus says. Jesus says, every branch in me, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. So, Pastor Mark, are you saying true believers can lose their salvation? That true believers can actually be vitally connected to the, the living vine, Jesus Christ, and not bear fruit? No, that's not what I'm saying. So what is Jesus saying here? Not all branches that are quote-unquote in him are really in him. 
Not all believers who profess to be believers are really believers. John has shown this again and again in his gospel. Would you look at a couple places with me? Now, what I want to do, first of all, is underscore two, an important truth. No true branch that, is, that bears fruit is, will lose their salvation because those are the true branches. So let's, let's look at a couple of these here. John chapter 6, very foundational text, important text. John chapter 6, and Jesus is dealing with this very issue. And we read in verse 67 the following. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Because these professed disciples had walked away from him. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. See what's going on here? He's identifying the true disciples from the false disciples. Judas was, quote-unquote, in the vine. He was, a part, he was around Jesus, but he was not a true disciple. He was a traitor. He was a fruitless branch. He was not a, not a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 10, we receive this great reassurance from Jesus that all those who truly belong to him will never be broken off from him. John chapter 10 and verses 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the, fa- and the Father are one. So we see here that true believers will always, will never be broken off. They'll be kept by Jesus. But back in John chapter 2, we see another instance of a professed disciple John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about him, for he himself knew what was in man. You see what's going on here? People are witnessing Jesus. They're witnessing his miracles. They're witnessing great things that he's doing, and they have a kind of belief in him. But Jesus is able to discern their heart and know it's not real. It's not real faith. That's not real belief. They're just marveling at my works. They're just amazed at what I'm doing. But they don't really desire to be my disciples. And the, perhaps the most helpful verse in all of the Gospel of John on this very subject is what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verses 30 and 31, if you want to look there. This will be the last place we'll look before we go back to John 15. John chapter 8, verse 30 and 31, Jesus has just spoken great words. He's just re- reminded them that, that he that he can do nothing on his own. He only does what the Father teaches him. The Father sent him. And here's what people respond in John chapter 8, verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. See what's going on here? He's telling them, just because you have some initial interest 
just because I've piqued your curiosity doesn't mean you belong to me. If you belong to me, you will abide in me and you will bear fruit. Now, it's amazing how many people who claim to be Christians have other vines in their lives from which they seek their resources, and Jesus may be one of them. I tried to determine if there are any other vines in my own life. Ask yourself these questions. How many things do I attach myself to for my well-being? Some people think their vine is their bank account, their education, their sexual relationships, their popularity, their skills, their family, their connections, their possessions, their social relationships. Some people even think the church is their vine. They attach themselves to a system of religion. But their vine must be Jesus Christ, not the church. Merely attending a church is not necessarily evidence of being in a vine branch relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, it can be very parasitic. Sometimes people are like parasites because they want to attend church because they want somebody to do something for them. They're not really interested in Jesus. They're interested in what they can get from the people of Jesus. But we as branches must grow with Christ as our vine. And not even a Bible study group or a church can be a substitute for Jesus Christ as your sustenance for living. John chapter 15 again underscores this. In John chapter 15 verse 8 he says, By this my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, John chapter 15 is sort of a proof test. Demonstrate that you are what you say you are. If you say you're my disciple, but you're not bearing fruit, you need to examine yourself to see if you're really my disciple. Because not every branch in me that claims to be in me is really in me. That's why he can say, those branches are fruitless branches, they're non-believers, they're not true disciples, and they're going to be broken off and cast into the fire. So some of you may, may need to hear that warning this morning. You may be a, an unfruitful disciple. You may be someone in whom Jesus has not demonstrated any demonstrable character change, whom you are not submitting to as the real and true Lord of your life that is governing your decisions. He's just one of your friends, not the Lord of your life. Maybe another angle on this would be helpful rather than just the the hell warning, which is very real in this passage in which Jesus holds out for us in front of us. But also, maybe this, do you want to have a fruitful life? Maybe you need that level of admonishment. Do you want to have a fruitful 2016? Well, how, how are you going to get there? Look at what Jesus says in verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now you could say, well, there's lots of things that I can do apart from Jesus. And you can. You can do lots of things. But nothing of eternal spiritual significance You can do lots of things. You can eat, you can go to sleep, you can go to work, you can have relationships. You can do lots of things without any conscious dependence on Jesus as a vine and branch relationship. 
but you can do nothing that really matters to Jesus. And he's the one you're going to have to stand before at the end of your life and give an account for your life. So this truth reminds us of what Jesus is saying here in this vine and branch relationship that apart from me you can do nothing. This truth reminds us of two lies that our culture preaches to us that we must not listen to. The lie of autonomy and the lie of self-sufficiency. What is autonomy? Autonomy is the lie that tells you that you're an independent human, that your life belongs to you, and that you have the right to live life as you please. Listen, you can buy that lie, but payday someday. You will give an account for how you spent the life that Christ created. So autonomy is a lie. And independence, apart from any accountability to anyone, is a lie. Because we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we will give an account for the, for the deeds done in the body, the Bible says. Second lie, self-sufficiency. That's the lie that tells you that you have everything within yourself to be what you're supposed to be and do what you're supposed to do. We don't. We don't. We are limited. We are finite. We are broken. We are sinful. We need the life of Christ in us, flowing through us. We need to be vitally connected to Christ. Paul Tripp says, Going at it on your own simply does not work. The self-made man is always poorly made. Say, I'm a self-made man. That's a poorly made man. You could have been so much more. You could have been a glorified image bearer of God and you chose a self-made man. What a sad existence for a human being. To be self-made. So I encourage you, before I move on here, just to, if, if you're in that, if you're in this, maybe you're not a believer here this morning, you, you've never meaningfully surrendered your life to the lordship and saviorhood of Jesus Christ. And you came in here and you said, I'm a fruitless branch. 2015 stunk. It stunk because I tried to be autonomous and self-sufficient and do things my way. And I come here this morning broken you know what? Jesus is here this morning and he's ready to receive you. If that's you this morning, if you blew 2015, you are right where Christ wants you to be this morning. He wants to attach you meaningfully to him by faith. You can come this morning and bring your fruitless branch and say, Jesus, fill my life with you. I want you as my savior, my source, my sustenance, everything to me. And I give my life to you wholeheartedly. You can do that right now in your seat. You can bow your head and pray silently and talk to the Jesus who is with us right now. He will hear you. He will save you. He will attach you to him. And you can begin a new life in 2016 as a new creation, a new disciple, headed for heaven, on the path of growth and sanctification until you reach that day. You can begin a new life, turn over a new page that's not built on your self-willed New Year's resolutions that you're going to drop in February. You can come to Christ and lay your life down, lay your burdens down, lay your cares down, lay your fears down, all at his feet. He's heard them all, and he'll receive you. He'll welcome you because he came for you. He came for people like us who where I was when I was a 15-year-old 
punk kid headed for hell, autonomous and self-sufficient. And Jesus stepped into my life and said, buddy, you didn't create yourself. You didn't create yourself. I created you. You belong to me. And by grace, I gave my life to Christ. And you can too. And so many people here, we'd love to tell you about that and how to do that. And just pray that you would, you would receive Christ this morning. So that's admonishment for the idle on the importance of abiding. Secondly, let me give some encouragement for the faint-hearted on the value of abiding. Encouragement for the faint-hearted. This would be for those of you who, like so many, so many of us, just, you know, 2015, you look at your relationship with Christ and it's just, just up and down. Just you look at it, you're like, I'm thankful. He, he, his promise is true. He kept me. <laughs> he kept me. But I'm just, if I had to tell you right now, I'm discouraged. I'm discouraged. Maybe you, had a, maybe you had a bad holiday experience with some family members, or maybe you know, just discouraged by things, and you're just faint-hearted. You need some encouragement from Jesus that sticking with him and staying close to him and abiding in him will be worth it. And I want to give you that encouragement because Jesus wants to give you that encouragement in John 15. First of all, he, he encourages the faint-hearted in a way that doesn't necessarily begin to feel like encouragement at first. Okay, So this doesn't feel encouraging, but if you think about it, it's really encouraging. Here's the encouragement. Every branch in him, look at verse 2, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He prunes. Now, what is pruning? It's taking those sharp shears and cutting that living branch back so that it will grow again and bear even more fruit than if it wasn't pruned. Jesus does that to us as his people. He prunes us. And one of the best ways that he prunes us is when he allows suffering and problems to come into our lives. Some of you have faced horrific diagnoses in 2015. Or you've just had an ongoing problem that doesn't seem to be getting fixed. And you're discouraged. You look at it and you say, Jesus, this hurts. It hurts. And we wonder if he knows what he's doing. And it may seem we're the only branch getting pruned. Don't you feel that way sometimes? I do. I look around, I'm like, there's a fruitful Christian. They're happy. They're not getting pruned. I'm getting pruned. And you even know some other branches that need some more pruning than you do. I mean, you look at them and you're like, Lord Jesus, look at the weeds. Can you please prune that brother, prune that sister? But the vine dresser knows what he's doing, brothers and sisters. The vine dresser knows what he's doing. Spiritual pruning can take many forms. It can be sickness, it can be hardships, it can be loss. It may be persecution or slander. For some, it's the loss of a loved one or grief over a relationship. Or it may be a combination of difficulties. But whatever the method, the effect is the same. It's intended to narrow our focus on Jesus and strengthen the quality of our fruit. Whatever the method of pruning that God uses, we can be assured that he cares about us and that he wants us to bear much fruit. He wants to free us 
from the shoots that drain our life and energy. He wants to continue his care throughout our lives to keep us spiritually, vitally healthy and productive. And therefore, we need to welcome the pruning ministry of our vine dresser. Welcome it as the hand. Now, now how, do you, how do you welcome it? How do you learn to welcome that? Because that's not easy. Well, there's a couple of ways to help you here. John chapter 13, Jesus gives, you don't have to turn there. It's the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, right? And he, he's serving them. He, he kneels down. And he starts to wash their feet. And Peter rejects it. No, 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 Lord, you're not going to do that. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you're not going to have any part with me. You're not a true disciple. And Jesus, Peter says, well, okay, okay, okay. I want to be a true disciple. So wash my whole body then. Don't just do my feet. I, I, I'm, I belong to you, Jesus. And Jesus says the following in John 13, verses 8 through 10. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Talking about Judas again, that fake false branch. But notice what he says here. He says, listen, you're clean. You're safe, Peter. I love you. You belong to me, but we got some pruning to do. I just need to wash your feet. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what the Lord, the Father, is doing as a vine dresser in our lives. The washing the feet metaphor is the same as the pruning metaphor. It's the fact that we belong to him, but he's got a few things to clean up about us. Hebrews, of course, is a, is a great text that reminds us of this. But it, it, it doesn't use the, the feet washing metaphor or the pruning metaphor. It uses fatherly discipline. And you remember in Hebrews chapter 12, we read the following about our Father's love for us and the way He disciplines us. Verse 6, For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and He chastises every son whom He receives. And then verse 10 and 11, For they disciplined us, they're talking about our earthly fathers, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. See, you're going to experience that. It's, all, it's not pleasant. It's all painful. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So that's what you've got to do when you're in a season of pruning and you're tempted to be faint-hearted. You just need to get a new perspective. This is going to yield a, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So, Lord, train me through this. I'm willing to wait. I mean, how many of the Psalms say that? I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. I mean, just read the Psalms. Look, do a cross-reference on the word, or a, 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 you know, search the Bible on the word wait. And just read the Psalms and read all the times that that word is used. And get inside the difficulties and the struggles of God's people then. They were being pruned. And they were waiting on the Lord. So that's encouragement for you. But it's also a couple of other things that, would, that should encourage you is that in your pruning, God is glorified. And that's what you want most as a true disciple. Like, Lord, if this is for your glory and for my good, let it come. Let it come. And this is what he says in verse 8. He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. 
So in our fruit bearing, our Father is glorified, but we don't get much fruit unless we get pruned. So if we want God to be glorified, we have to be willing to submit to his pruning. But notice, lest you are afraid of that, and there's part of me that's afraid of that. I'm afraid because I, I still don't know my father well enough. I still don't know my father well enough, so I still have fear about his pruning. But then Jesus comes along and says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So don't ever think if you're undergoing a season of pruning that God is not being glorified in that, that he doesn't intend good and that he doesn't promise joy in the midst of it. He will. And he doesn't just promise like, I'm going to zap you with joy. He says, my joy will be in you because you're vitally attached to me. By faith, we are vitally and spiritually connected to Jesus. And therefore, it's not just him giving us our joy, but it's him giving us his joy. And he says, my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that our joy is going to be full in the moment of our pruning or even after the pruning is over, but he does promise joy in the midst of it. So in your pruning, faint-hearted, weary Christian, remember that God is glorified in it, that you will bear much fruit, and that your joy will be full. Wait for the Lord. Third point, help for the weak. Some of us are just in need of help. Maybe you're a new Christian, or maybe you're a Christian that just has been a Christian for a while but never really understood how to meaningfully abide in Jesus. Say, I want help. It's like, I'm, I'm not faint-hearted right now. I'm not faint-hearted. I'm not, I'm not idle. I want to grow. I'm hungry. I, I, I want to I pursue Jesus this year. I want to read the Word. I want to pray. But I just need help. How do I do that? How do I do that? How do, how do I get the help I need as a weak believer? Well, let me give you some help. Jesus gives us some help. He talks about the attitude that we need to have going into this relationship with Jesus, which some of you need help with, the attitude you need to have, the attitude you need to have while you're spending time with God, and the attitude you need to have as you go from your time with God. So I want to help you very practically. What's the attitude you need to bring in to time with God? What's the, what do you need to do? And what do you need to do from it? And Jesus gives us that, that, that help here. First of all, the attitude you need to bring to your time with God. Verse 3, Jesus says, already, now this is right on the heels of him talking about pruning, right? So he says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Skip down to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Does this not encourage you to want to spend time with Christ? Listen, when we come to our time with the Lord, opening the Bible, spending time in prayer, we are not doing it to earn love from God. You're not doing it to get God to bless you that day. That is works, righteousness, and anti-gospel. It's unbelief. What, what you need to go in is saying, Lord Jesus, thank you for cleaning me. 
Thank you that I'm washed completely of my sins. Thank you that my sins are buried in the depths of the sea. They're removed from me as far as the east is from the west. I am already clean because of the work you have done for me on the cross. You have paid in your body the full penalty for my sins. And you have clothed me in your perfect record of law-keeping righteousness. And before the Father, I stand not only justified, but adopted. I'm spirit and dwelt. I belong to you. And we go in with that reminder. Even with the defilement of yesterday still on our brains. And the sins that we carry in to time with God. We remind ourselves, the words of Jesus, already you are clean because of the words I'm spoken to you. And, listen, as the Father has loved me, verse 9, so have I loved you, abide in my love. That's what this is about. It is about getting to know the love of your Father for you. And spending time in His loving presence which doesn't mean God just going to give you a bunch of kisses all the time, all right? He'll be a good father to you. He'll speak the words you need to hear and need to know through his word as you read it and study it. So that's the, that's the attitude we need to bring in. We're not trying to earn our father's love. We're trying to abide in our father's love. We're not trying to get ourselves clean or our sins paid for. That's done by the work of Jesus Christ, not our devotional life. So what's the attitude? What do we need to do when we're in this time? We need to let his words abide in us and ask whatever we wish in light of that. That's what verse 7 says. That's what we do. So letting God's word abides in, abide in us means a lot more than just reading the Bible. Okay? It means a whole lot more than that. It means that we welcome into our lives and make room for him to live not as a silent guest with no opinions and no commands, but as an authoritative guest whose opinions matter more to us than anyone else's and whose commands are the law of our life. To have him abiding is to have all his views abiding in us. It's to have his priorities, his principles, his promises, his commands resonate with our hearts and not just bounce off our brains. I'm so guilty of just reading the Bible but not meditating on the Bible and memorizing the Bible. I'm so guilty of just listening to preaching and teaching but not letting it abide in me, remain with me, live in me, change me. So abiding in Jesus is more than just having a quiet time. It means seeking the words of Jesus as living words. Words that come not in the abstract, but come from the heart and on the lips of a living person whom we love more than any other person in the world. And we want to hear from him. This means taking whatever steps necessary to keep the living voice of Jesus speaking to you through the words he spoke in Scripture. It is spirit, it's a spiritually intentional act of relating to a living person who, came, who, who, when you take his words into your mind, like, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And dwelling on that and praying through that, saying, Lord Jesus, thank you that you came, that you've given me life. 
Thank you for being the life giver. Thank you for your intention to bring good into my life and blessing and abundance and asking you, asking him to fulfill his good will in you and do this. So that's how we, we come. We come, even if it's just a verse. And let me say a word about this. Practical ways to do this, okay? Like practical, you, you got to have a plan, okay? If your plan is to not plan and to just kind of open the Bible and wherever it falls open, you read that day, it's not a good plan, okay? Don't do that. Pick a place, pick a time, put it on your calendar. It can change, but have a plan. Pick a Bible reading schedule. Have something, okay? I sent seven of them yesterday through our church email. Pick one of them or pick any, another one. There's lots of them out there, but have a plan. You say, I'm, I'm not really good about sticking to the plan. Well, me neither. So get a plan like the Bible plan for shirkers and slackers that I tacked there on the end, and you can read that one and it has no time limit. All right, or get the two-year or the three-year, or I'm just reading the New Testament. There's lots of plans, but get one and spend time. And don't just read, memorize. Have a plan for memorization. Journal. Write out what, and, and, and think, think what, what is God saying to me here? What, what does he want me to do? Pray that the Spirit will speak to you as you read his word. And then as you move from that time, don't just walk away, close the Bible, thank you, Lord. Know what he said to you. Because he doesn't just want you to spend time with him. He wants you to act differently because of it. Notice what he says here in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Well, what does it mean to keep his commandments? Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Here's a takeaway. How does what I read today help me love other people? How does what I read today help me love somebody, love my wife, love my kids, love my coworkers, love my neighbors? What does it say for how I'm to love others? What does it say about God's love for me? And what should it say about how, I sh- how does it inform how I should love other people? What a great two questions to ask of yourself as you read Scripture. It's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So asking yourself, how does this text that I read this morning motivate me, help me to love God more and to love others as he has loved me? Music team, will you come on up? As we close, I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment. I pray that you would be encouraged and built up this morning, that you've been motivated by God's grace. We're also going to, we're also going to give in response to God's word to us this morning. The Lord Jesus gave himself for us, and we give to him. And one of the ways we give is through our tithes and offerings. If you're a guest with us, please let the basket pass. This service is our gift to you. We hope you've been blessed. We hope you've been helped. Don't feel any constraint whatsoever to give. This is for our members and those who call Heritage Baptist Church home. So we're going to respond in song and by giving our tithes and offerings, and then I'll be back to close us in a couple of minutes. Let's stand together as I pray. Father, we thank you that you're the vine dresser. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the vine. We thank you that we are your branches. We pray this year in 2016 that we will be vitally connected to you that you would help us to be fruitful vines, not fruitless ones, that we would abide in your love and that your love, Father, that you have for the Son would abide in us, 
so that we are able to love others the way you have loved us. And we pray all this for your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.